Und er sagt sowas wie, und dann wurde der Deckel über den Gachet gelegt. And he says something like, and the lid was placed over Gachet. It was like closing a coffin. Mich schauten diese blauen Augen vorwurfsvoll an. Those blue eyes peered at me so reproachfully. Under national socialism in Germany, the portrait of Dr. Gachet becomes an ideological pawn. And it is inextricably intertwined with the story of one man. This is Finding Van Gogh, a podcast series about my search for Vincent van Gogh's last portrait and its compelling history. I'm Johannes Nichelmann. It's 1905, Frankfurt, Germany. Vincent van Gogh has been dead for 15 years. The Stere Museum has just received a surprising job application. A certain Georg Zwarzenski, 29 years old, calls attention to himself in five full, neatly handwritten pages. He writes, Although the vacancy for the position of curator at your institute has not been publicly advertised, I, with all due respect, would like to introduce myself as an applicant. So, Georg is quite young, but despite his age, he has collected impressive academic experience all over Europe. And not one, but two doctorate degrees. Today, that would be a pretty remarkable achievement for a 29-year-old. And it was back then, too. He adds, I've never applied for employment before and thus, I'm not sure if this letter is too long or too short. Nevertheless, I hope you do not find it obtrusive that I submit this application without being called upon to do so. As it turns out, the bravery it took to send that application pays off. Georg impresses the people of Frankfurt. Shortly afterwards, he is the new curator of one of the most important museums in the country and moves to a famously cosmopolitan city where the bourgeoisie shapes the character of cultural life. This was one of the richest cities in all of Germany. That means here were enormous resources. And Swarzenski understood how to bring people to invest and spend their money for the benefit of the Städel Museum. This is historian Andreas Hansert. He can tell me more about Swarzenski and the influence of the Frankfurt bourgeoisie. He was someone who saw eye to eye with the bourgeoisie. A museum director can't compete financially with high-earning occupations. The owner of a mid-sized company earns about 10 times more than a museum director. But if such a director is good, he or she can build up an enormous reputation. Some people pride themselves in knowing such a person like, yeah, I have contact with the director of the Stadel. That is quite something. And Svartsensky understood that very well and was able to use it productively without trying to chum the people up. Svartsensky's assistant recalled someone who must have come across as 20 years older than he really was. He writes, when someone who didn't know Svartsensky would hear his deep bass voice on the phone, they would have sworn there was a Berserker on the other end, someone wide-shouldered, tall like a grenadier guard. But as soon as Georg Zwarzenski showed up in person, it was astounding. He was a short, delicate gentleman. 
with a sharp pair of rimless glasses that sat on his tiny nose between two large friendly eyes. What kind of guy do you think Sosensky was? He must have radiated some sense of authority, but without being commanding. I don't think he was like that at all. In my opinion, he is someone you could easily get along with. Schwarzensky is someone I would have liked to have met. In comparison to some of the other figures that you research as a historian of this period, where you say, well, they represent political views, for example, that are miles away from the way we see things today. At the Stadium Museum, Schwarzensky becomes part of an institution which certainly boasts an outstanding reputation. But as far as innovation goes, well... There's still some room for improvement. He realized pretty quickly that Frankfurt had an old master's collection that was highly competitive by international standards. The contemporary collection, on the other hand, less so. Today, curator Alexander Eiling is responsible for exactly that. All of the modern art that we find here today wasn't part of the collection until 1905. This is precisely what Swatsinski wanted to change expanding the museum to include new and more exciting art. The city had conveniently been planning to establish a museum for modern art, back then called contemporary art, for a while. And Swatsinski used his powers of persuasion to see that this new museum, the Städtische Galerie, becomes a division of the Städte. The accumulation of contemporary works for the Städtische Galerie would become Swatsinski's main project, his pride and joy. One thing, of course, was Frankfurt's self-image, one of Germany's richest cities at that time. Here were the resources you needed to establish a museum, a newly founded gallery on the international playing field. That meant he would purchase not only art from Frankfurt, but also high-quality artwork from other countries. But the acquisition of innovative contemporary art during the time of the artistically rigid German Empire is no walk in the park. We shouldn't forget that Germany is still an empire at this time, of Emperor Wilhelm II, who considers it to be degenerate gutter art, and who completely rejects artists like Monet, all of the French Impressionists, and also Van Gogh. He personally would have never invested a penny into it. Something like the portrait of Dr. Gachet, was considered by the Kaiser to be nonsense. For many in the empire, art by Van Gogh in particular, some weird guy who committed suicide was simply one thing, crazy. You always had to justify the new museum acquisitions to the administration, to the city. After all, somebody had to provide the money. And if you went in and said, well, we want to invest the money in some Dutchman who shot himself in the stomach in Auvergne and left 500 paintings in his legacy, of which not one was ever really sold, That, in fact, would have been extremely difficult to convince the city of Frankfurt of in 1900. But the patient and unassuming Georg Tzatzinski actually manages to turn things around at the Städel. And he receives quite a bit of help from his network. One private donor from Frankfurt grants Tzatzinski the funds to buy a very special painting that he's been dying to add to the collection. In 1911, he buys this piece from a gallery in Paris, scoring a huge personal victory. It's none other than the portrait of Dr. Gachet. But Zwarzenski's purchase takes place during a turbulent time in the art world. 
The fact that the Kaiser rejects all types of innovative artwork is one thing. But for many others, the most important consideration is where the artwork comes from. There's talk about an invasion of French art, and they want to hold the purchase of modern French paintings. This applies to Van Gogh as well, although he's actually from the Netherlands. Many see him as a French artist, since he lived so long in France and was largely influenced by French art. Und dieser Streit and Zwarzenski takes notice of this debate. Not in Frankfurt, but in other cities, this controversy is really escalating. Namely, in the city of Bremen, where the curator of the city's art gallery buys a Van Gogh in 1911. And this is the poppy field. And this poppy field isn't cheap. It definitely wasn't a bargain, I can tell you that. So he buys it, and all of a sudden people from German circles of artists start popping up and voicing their opinion. There is this German landscape painter by the name of Karl Winnen who says, this is unbelievable. Taxpayer money being wasted on French art? I will go and gather up the artists who agree with me that we need to stop investing in French art. They should be investing in us in German art. But this outcry leads to the establishment of a new group in opposition to this trend, a group of German curators like Zwarzenski, in which he himself plays a leading role. The incident becomes known in history as the Bremen Art Dispute. In 2019, the terms that are used to describe Van Gogh and other international artists feel strangely familiar. There's talk of alien art and foreign domination. It is in this emotionally heated period of time that Zwarzenski buys the portrait of Dr. Gachet. This was three years before the outbreak of the First World War, and in 1911, at the most heated point of the whole debate, he buys a Van Gogh. And, well, that's a statement. He had indeed bought a Van Gogh once before, but that one was more of a brownish monotone picture that made you think, well, it's sort of Van Gogh light. Eiling is referring to an early Van Gogh, a farmhouse he had painted before he found his famous Van Gogh style. But then, of all paintings, he buys the portrait of Dr. Gachet. The late stage, one of his main works, a portrait. It's got everything you'd want from a Van Gogh, and that's a real statement. I have to say it was a brave purchase. And this courage really needs to be underlined. One needs to recognize that it wasn't like you could just do whatever you wanted without critique, verbal abuse and animosity. You had to really assert yourself courageously and even deal with the subsequent harassment in the street for buying something like that. So he would get shouted at by people when he was walking through Frankfurt, like an early version of Facebook or hate mail? Absolutely. These curators had to go through some real shitstorms from both citizens and politicians. How did he find the courage to make his choice against the will of so many people. He was just very qualified. I have to say he was very smart and highly educated. And if you really understand why you're doing something and which arguments you represent without letting all the national fuzz drive you crazy, then that's the best skill you can have to run a museum, and for as long as he did. 
Woher kommt diese, diese Angst? Where does this German fear of foreign art come from? At its core lies the German soul, if you will, that after the foundation of the empire oscillates between a dire craving for status and a collective inferiority complex. This military strength, this inflation of the ego, coupled, of course, with large industry, but at the same time also with certain cultural weaknesses, well, this infuriates the Germans. It infuriates those in power and leads to even more militaristic behavior. We need a fleet, we need to buy this and that to appear as strong as possible. The problem is that you can't have it all. Germany may have been economically and militarily strong, but its cultural heyday was rather in the beginning of the 19th century. Of course, the question of why this nationalism developed the way it did is not an easy question to answer. I believe it arose from this asymmetry, from this misunderstanding. But we're so strong, we're economically so strong, why aren't we culturally strong? And they were constantly confronted with the French implication, yeah, well, in Berlin the women dress as if they were on a farm. The worst insult the Germans could get from the French was their alleged provinciality. The museum purchases more and more art from France. Monet, Renoir, Degas, and soon contemporary art from Germany as well. Painters like Kirchner, Heckel or Beckmann. All of them young artists, expressionists, who stand for a new and bold German art scene, and all of them strongly influenced by Van Gogh. Over the next few years, the Städtische Galerie develops exactly the way Swazinski had planned. And the portrait of Dr. Gachet? It must have been really popular, and, at least for some circles within the bourgeoisie in Frankfurt, an object with which they really identified themselves, one that represented the city. Art historian Anna Huber works at the Städel in the educational department. She has conducted a great deal of research on the portrait of Dr. Gachet. One cannot really imagine that anymore today. I think paintings in the museums today don't hold that kind of status anymore. Back then, everyone knew it. Everyone was talking about it. You had an opinion about it. And the people of Frankfurt were probably proud of it. With his collection, Georg Zwarzenski becomes one of the most esteemed curators of his time. By 1928, he's been tasked with overseeing the direction of all museums in the city of Frankfurt. And so he hands the responsibility of running the Städtische Galerie, his great project over to his assistant of many years, Alfred Wolters. They know each other very well and can easily trust one another. That will prove to be an important detail later on, as the political tides begin to shift. And then comes 1933. The National Socialists come to power in Germany. And Sosensky has a Jewish background. He's at the peak of his career, 
General Director of all museums in Frankfurt. Und dann bricht das Dritte Reich über ihm ein. And then the Third Reich happens and immediately affects his life. Und dann he is a man of merit who is highly respected in Frankfurt and Germany, even internationally. Then several successive events occur that essentially cut the ground from under his feet, since his existence as a Jewish person in Germany was threatened. Weil er als jüdischer Mensch existenziell bedroht war im nationalsozialistischen Deutschland. Let's fast forward for just one moment. The Nazis will strip away his rights and dignity over the course of the next five years. He eventually manages to flee the country, just in the nick of time. And Dr. Gachet, the sorrowful observer of this tragedy, is confiscated in 1937 and declared degenerate art. What happens up until this point reveals a lot about the contradictory and brutal ideology of the Nazis and how much importance they placed on art. Svatsensky Zwarzenski is removed from his position as general director shortly after the Nazis take power, in 1933. And all of this happens before the National Socialists pass a law that expels all Jewish and politically unwelcome government officials from their positions. Zwarzenski is suspended and has to report to an investigative committee. His pioneering museum strategy is now under the spotlight. Und er wird mit dem And he's replaced by an interim director, this mediocre painter named Fahrenbruch, who then proceeds to take down the laboriously collected paintings of modern and contemporary art that were so carefully selected with connoisseurship and passionate expertise. Immediately, which of course renders a large part of Zwartensky's life work completely invisible. It's no longer accessible for the public. The portrait of Dr. Gachet vanishes as well. The employees of the Städel can hardly recognize their own museum. Just imagine. You work at a museum and all of a sudden you get this new boss who radically just starts shutting down entire departments. Several pieces of art were simply locked away. We need to recognize just what this means. And you also have to consider the fact that museums didn't really have a lot of employees back then. There are photographs where they're all standing on the chairs like a cluster of grapes. This is a small number of people. That means they all knew each other well. They were befriended. And the reliable, long-standing Zwartensky is just replaced by someone they probably consider to be an unqualified idiot, to put it simply. And then the collection and the gallery are altered beyond recognition. But Swazensky still has the trust of most of Frankfurt's bourgeoisie. That's something that did not change overnight. His backing is strong enough that he's able to survive the investigation and can at least remain the director of the private part of the Städel Museum, the division with the old masters. But that also means that he immediately loses control over the contemporary art pieces. And this includes the portrait of Dr. Gachet. In den Akten, die so erhalten sind aus den 30er Jahren im Städelmuseum. In the records from the 1930s that are preserved at the Städel Archive, Zwartensky is less present. We can only imagine that he realizes that Jewish life in Germany is increasingly attacked 
brutally so. And thus he starts taking sick leave from work more frequently. More and more of his Jewish friends and colleagues decide to leave Germany. But Swatsinski stays. Frankfurt is, after all, the city he has made his home. In the meantime, Alfred Walters, Swatsinski's trusted colleague, has to perform a tricky balancing act. Running a museum for modern art and a regime that is increasingly attacking this type of art. Over the course of several months, he tries to put back on display some of the artworks that Fahrenbruch had taken down. Fahrenbruch did not stay long at the museum, but his radical interventions cannot simply be reversed. Walters needs to fight for each and every piece. Despite these challenges, he ends up receiving permission to display at least some of the paintings publicly again. But perhaps this success had more to do with the announcement of a big upcoming event. In 1936, the Olympic Games will take place in Berlin. The Nazis are keen to make a good impression on the foreign press. It's very likely that it was this moment in January 1936 in which Van Gogh's portrait of Dr. Gachet was once again made visible in the gallery. And the interesting thing is that this back and forth reveals the huge uncertainty of the Nazis about what in fact counted as degenerate art, what didn't, what was desirable and what was not. And this is true for the general history of art in the Third Reich as a whole. Today we realize and understand that the Nazis were never able to determine a clear definition for what they considered to be degenerate art. They did a terrible exhibition called Degenerate Art, a touring exhibition that started in Munich in the summer of 1937 which boasted record-breaking attendance nationwide. But they never really came to terms with an actual definition of what they meant with degeneration in the arts. And we know very well that they didn't even agree on it themselves. There were the conservatives, who clearly rejected the kind of expressive painting style which already gravitates towards abstraction. But in the beginning... There also were fractions of the National Socialist Movement that even praised Van Gogh and the Expressionists as particularly Nordic-Germanic. Did the Nazis fear the power of art? I mean, they seem to attach great importance to it. I'm not so sure that they really feared its power. They certainly saw the power of art as an opportunity. They didn't reject art as such, but rather truly believed in its potency. And quite strongly, actually. They concerned themselves quite seriously with art, even with modern art. After much internal discussion, in which the problem of art was debated by many heterogeneous and incoherent voices within the Nazi party, and with several theorists, they came to the conclusion that that which was created in the late 19th century, and especially in the early 20th century, must be a sign of cultural decadence. And they believe they can just change this by getting rid of the art altogether. We really have to remove it, exterminate it. These are terms that they actually used. The 1936 Olympic Games are the calm before the storm. Almost a year later, the Nazis will open the exhibition on so-called degenerate art, 
A commission appointed by the Minister of Propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, plows Germany's museums to seize the art and the Nazis despise. Then, they publicly ostracize it. They take almost 700 pieces of art, 30 of which are from the Städel. Dr. Gachet, however, is not among them. So what types of artists were displayed at the exhibition? Yes, that's actually very interesting. Like I said, the Nazis couldn't really agree on a concrete definition of degeneracy. However, that which they publicly displayed as the art of decadence or degeneracy, which they had brought into the public eye as something undesirable, this was a very specific group of artists. It especially included the expressionistic and surrealistic avant-gardes, so actually the group of artists from the early 20th century, mostly contemporaries. Van Gogh, Van Gogh's work, was not displayed in the exhibition of degenerate art at all. Van Gogh, Van Gogh's Werke waren in der Ausstellung entartete Kunst nicht zu sehen. The degenerate art exhibition is a huge success with over two million visitors. But were people there out of resentment or secret admiration? It's hard to tell. Nevertheless, the Nazis are galvanized by this success and continue to confiscate another 20,000 artworks. In Frankfurt, they come back for hundreds more. But Dr. Gachet is spared one last time. In fact, the painting hangs publicly in the Städel for several more months. But by December 1937, the Nazis are at it again. A third raid takes place. A total of five artworks are to be taken from the Städel and sent to Berlin, including a monk, a Gauguin and Van Gogh's Gachet. What I still can't seem to understand is, why was Gachet suddenly declared degenerate art? In the year 1937, there were two conferences for museum directors in Berlin, one in August and one in November, so literally a week before the Städel gets the message that Gachet is to be confiscated. At the first one, Wolters gets a message. You're talking about Swarzynski's successor. Exactly. Swarzynski's successor, Alfred Wolters, is told that Van Gogh now belongs to a certain group of problematic foreigners who are from now on only allowed to be displayed in a separate part of the museum. At the second conference, he's told... Van Gogh is degenerate. And this now comes directly from the Reich Ministry of Education as an attempt of the Nazis to forcibly coordinate the museums. Their argument is that he was insane. And this is an interesting historical complex, again circling around this cliché of Van Gogh's mental illness. Van Gogh's art, Van Gogh as a person, especially with respect to a remote and indirect diagnosis of schizophrenia in retrospect, was already heavily discussed in the 1910s and 20s. Intellectuals and psychologists, even at that time, all saw the schizophrenia as an amazing example of how a mental illness can trigger creative potential. So it was seen as something positive. They say that was the reason he was such an exceptional artist. Because it awakens such visionary insights, this other side of the mental state. The Nazis then take a small step to turn the whole argument around and say, such a pathological artist must be banned. 
An artist who is mentally ill stands for genetic mutation which must be eradicated. Und die gilt es auszulöschen. Und in diese Kategorie der Entartung fällt dann auch der Van Gogh. Van Gogh thus falls into this category of degeneracy. Alfred Walters desperately attempts to win himself some time. Even the mayor of Frankfurt, who is in fact a loyal Nazi, supports him and speaks up for the museum. But still, the two can't do much about it. The decision is final. For immediate dispatch, the Reich Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda demands Führer's order. Alfred Walters has no choice. He must follow Berlin's orders. The employee responsible for sending the painting recalls this disturbing moment. Und er sagt sowas wie And he says something like Und dann wurde der Deckel über den Gachet gelegt And the lid was placed over Gachet wie ein Sarkophag der geschlossen It was like wurde. closing a coffin Mich schauten diese blauen Augen vorwurfsvoll an Those blue eyes peered at me so reproachfully The portrait of Dr. Gachet is sent to a storage facility in Berlin with thousands of other paintings to sit in limbo until it's been decided what to do with them. The only thing left of Gachet in the Städel Museum is an empty picture frame. Rumors that it has been taken away spread quickly throughout the city. And that's how the information finally reaches the editor of an influential newspaper. The Frankfurter Zeitung wasn't just a local newspaper. It was, in fact, one of the largest daily newspapers in Germany. Andreas Hansert has researched the newspaper extensively. It is one of the few media outlets keeping a spark of critique of the regime alive. Of course, they couldn't openly publish things against the Nazis. That was out of the question. But they were able to develop something like a secret code. Basically, a particular way of writing news stories that would allow readers to read between the lines. For example... They would use a specific form of indirect speech when citing Hitler's statements to very subtly differentiate their opinion from the regime. Josef Goebbels, Minister of Propaganda, refrains from shutting the newspaper down, at least for now, to maintain the image of a German free press abroad. Now, during National Socialism, it is one of the last public voices in any way critical of the regime. One could call it covert opposition. Open critique was clearly not possible. Whoever dared to criticize the Nazis openly ended up in the concentration camps. During the Nazi period, you couldn't criticize the regime publicly. And that was, of course, the case for the Frankfurter Zeitung. They could only publish criticism in a very subtle way. That means the editors of the Frankfurter Zeitung clearly can't publish a critique on Dr. Gachet's removal or even talk about the simple fact that it happened. They don't write a word about the confiscation, but rather a piece about the painting itself. They basically describe it in a very beautifully written column, in a way that's understandable for the general public. They quote letters written by Van Gogh in which he describes the painting himself. That Dr. Gachet's face expresses all of the pain and suffering felt during this moment in time. They repeat all of this in their article. 
and this needs to be understood as a very bold act of resistance in 1937. The name of the author is Benno Reifenberg, who writes anonymously, Whoever thinks about the portrait of Dr. Gachet from afar, and thus about the Stadel Museum, of which this Van Gogh piece has become the most prized possession, whoever thinks about this doctor, he shall be comforted. Just as anyone who trusts that the power of the good is the unassailable characteristic of mankind should be comforted too. The portrait speaks to us today directly, to those of us who are willing to listen, which is astounding if we consider this piece was painted almost half a century ago. The two eyes are deep and simultaneously as transparent as a lake. They communicate the calmness of a noble man. Van Gogh speaks of Dr. Gachet himself and says, his face displays the pain-filled expression of our time. It is this facial expression that is preserved through the awe-inspiring strength of the painter, so that the descendants of today may find ease in this pain from their own woes. This is how the article appears in the paper in late 1937. It's one of the very few examples of public critique of the regime's art policies. Days pass by, even weeks, and nothing happens. Absolutely nothing. But eventually, the Nazis react. The Gestapo takes action. In the next episode of Finding Van Gogh, Ben Reifenberg, the author of the article, and Georg Zwarzenski are brought into interrogation. Ich glaube, dass die natürlich Angst hatten ohne Ende. I think they were, of course, scared for their lives. Meanwhile, 500 kilometers away in a Berlin storage facility, there's one painting in particular that catches the eye of a Nazi leader. Hermann Göring wants to turn the portrait of Dr. Gachet into cash by selling it abroad. Dr. Gachet is now in the US. Swazinski is in the US. Haben Sie sich jemals wieder getroffen? Did they ever manage to meet again? More than half a century passes, and the painting will make history once again. I've never sold a lot for this much money. One million, one million, one hundred thousand, one million, two hundred thousand. Who'll offer me one three? At one million, two hundred thousand, one million, three hundred thousand, one million, four hundred thousand. This was the second episode of Finding Van Gogh, a podcast series by the Städel Museum in Frankfurt in collaboration with Jakob Schmidt and myself, Johannes Nichelmann. By the way, Finding Van Gogh is the Städel Museum's first podcast series. Of course, most people find out about new podcasts through recommendations. So if you're enjoying Finding Van Gogh, you could lend us some simple support by sending the link to friends or family members. Stay tuned for episode three. 